Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's summer holidays from school, and it's time to play, but not so fast, right? It's a big relief for parents who have been homeschooling during the pandemic, but one thing that hasn't changed in our environment, and our guest today is going to speak to that, uh, Dr. Joe Schrand, is that COVID-19, we need coping skills. And today we're here with Dr. Joe. He's an instructor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and an assistant child psychiatrist on the medical staff of Massachusetts General Hospital and the medical director of CASEL, Clean and Sober Teens Living Empowered. Last night, I had the pleasure of being on Dr. Joe's show on Apple Podcasts. I strongly urge you to tune in. Dr. Joe, you are just so genius at uncovering things, and we're delighted to have you. So welcome. I am delighted to be here, Diane, and I certainly couldn't uncover things without you. So thank you so much for being on the show last night. It was great hearing your story and, and your own course of discovery. It was amazing. Well, we, we had fun, and I, um, I, do, I do know that I, as well as our listeners, are going to enjoy your guidance. Uh, just a little bit uh, more about Dr. Joe. Using his groundbreaking and highly effective I am approach, Dr. Joe analyzes current events and human behavior through a psychiatric lens, discovering who we are and why we do what we do. Well, this is this is a big achievement because not only do you have this awesome background, but you've broken this down into a package that everyone can use, the I am theory. And um, it's a really, it's a tool. It's in simple layman's terms. And Dr. Joe, you've produced a, a daughter, Sophie, who does science with Sophie, I just learned, and who sings the beautiful song that accompanies your podcast. I, I couldn't believe you t- when you told me that you had, um, you had written this song. It is just so beautiful. Does it have a name? It's called Van Gogh. Oh, it's, it's called Van Gogh, yes. And, and science with Sophie, please, people, go check that out. If you've got young kids at home, whether it's during coronavirus or not, you're going to love it. It's a science comedy TV show that is really trying to inspire young women and everyone to become scientists. It's great. Science with Sophie. Well, and I think, you know, like her dad, uh, Sophie is breaking it down into bits that we can understand and it makes it fun and funny. And, um, you know, there is humor uh, to to be had and we are in the season of play after all. So I'm just going to see if I can do this. Let's say I've got this. It's really, um, this song is really something that you just, let's see. How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change. Is that not the most beautiful song? I just, Vincent van Gogh, this is just something I love. Um, And it stuck, it was my earworm um, since I started, um, you know, looking into you and what you do. Um, I, I just love this song. It's really stuck with me. So um, that's a that's a big achievement in and of itself. But you you started out in the in the sort of 
entertainment realm, right? You were a kid on the first season of Zoom, the PBS uh, series. And do you think that that paved the way for you to want to communicate to a broader audience somehow? It it absolutely did, Diane. Um, Yes, so I was the first Zoom kid. So I'm Joe. Uh, and um, that was in 1972. We actually did the pilot in 1971. And the show is really based on this idea by Christopher Sarson, uh, who was the executive producer, also was the executive producer of Masterpiece Theater and has won many, many Emmy Awards. And he would tell the story that he had kids about our age and was fascinated to see how did they to learn how to play with each other. How did they integrate with each other on a playground? You know, how do you approach someone? And I really, really credit Christopher Sarson, who we now call Zoom Papa, um, <laughs> with, with inspiring me about this idea of respect and value. And here we were, just a group of kids, um, all heritages, all socioeconomic status, and we just hung out together and played. Uh, just happened to be taped at WGBH uh, and broadcast throughout the United States. Um, but it was this idea that, you know, we are one group of people. We can all get along together. One of my phrases is, every friend was once a stranger. Mm-hmm. You know, every friend was once a stranger. Um, and we have an opportunity in the world to go from strangers to friends. Uh, just treating each other with respect and value. So yes, absolutely, uh, Zoom had a huge influence, but the influence actually goes back even a little bit further because mm-hmm. my mother, Frances Schrand, uh, was an actress, and she actually had a, her own radio show called Frances Schrand and the Spider's Web on WGBH, and they would read all sorts of children's stories. She and I did a couple together. We won an Armstrong Award for our reading of Wind in the Willows, which was really fun. It was lovely to Aww. work with my mom. Um, sure. And my dad, Hyman Strand, was a pediatrician. Um, and I would go into his office um, in, in the days long before HIPAA um, and just sit with him and, and learn about medicine. So I knew I was only, I was going to do one of those two things. I was either going to be an actor or be a physician. Um, Although there's there's a a joke that my parents used to say to me, Joe, you can be whatever you want as long as you're the doctor. But uh, but that's uh, an aside. So those were the things that inspired me. Yeah, and I think continued to generate a lot of, you know, energy for you. I I think you synthesized both sides. I don't think you had an either-or choice there. You became, you know, musician and doctor, musician, doctor. Um, You know, it's really very cool, um, all of the, and I do think that music and physics have commonalities. Um, You know, you, I did notice, too, that Zoom encouraged children to turn off the TV and do it. Well, this is, (laughs) this is. It's great advice. You know, I, I also think that this concept of respect, okay, the way you're pronouncing it is, is the way we all do, respect. And I love that, you know, a stranger, a friend was once a stranger. But the respect, so respect, the word mm-hmm. when you break it down to R-E-spect, 
um, this is this is fundamental to your your thinking as well, right? You you take another look rather than inspect or criticize or judge. You reflect. You respect um, another person. And I wonder if you'd be kind enough to to just give us, you know, your view when you're you know when you're just introduced to someone. Um, as you are here at Dropping In, if you just give us the intro to the I am um, theory. Sure. So, so we're calling it, um, we move from, from IMAX equation to the IMAX theory, and now it's the I am approach. And the reason is because we want to be able to approach someone. And this isn't like, you know, a theoretical thing. I, I really believe this is real. So the idea is this. Um, what if we start looking at everyone as simply doing the best they can at every moment in time? This is your current maximum potential. This is who I am and I matter. And we have spent so much time, especially in medicine, pathologizing, saying somebody is sick. This is why you're here. You're, you're broken. There's something wrong with you. You have a disease. We're going to treat you and fix you. Uh, and, just think about how, how would that really influence someone's self-image if they think other people see them as sick and broken? So the I am approach, I really started developing this back in 1982 when I was, I'd finished career in theater. You know, I was still a young kid. I'd, I'd graduated from college. I had my own theater company for a little bit up here in Boston. Um, and then I went back to New York and started working for CARE and realized as I was doing fundraising and going overseas for care that I was doing medicine wholesale, but I wanted to do it retail. I wanted to, I wanted to actually work with the people. So I know it's a long story to get there, but, but here's how it started. So I was taking physics. I hope the listening audience is still awake because whenever I say (laughs) physics, people immediately fall asleep. Well, we could set it to music. Which is to music, right? In physics, the symbol capital I stands for potential current for electricity. And I thought, what if we just flip it upside down and we call it a current potential? And we start looking at everyone at a maximum current potential, just doing the best they can at this moment in time with the potential to change in the very next second to another best they can. And we are always influencing responding to four domains. Your home domain. I mean, no one can argue that your home has had an influence on who you are. And, and listening audience, Diane and I got a chance to chat about her growing up years in her home domain and how that has influenced her doing dropping in all these years later. So the home domain has an influence. Then there's the social domain, which is everything other than your home. Home is given a special place because it's so important. But then there's the rest of the world, which is also pretty important. These two domains are outside, your home and your social domain. But there are also the two internal domains, your biological domain of your brain and body. Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I digesting my lunch? And then what I call the I see domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Human beings are very interested in what other people think or feel. We call that empathy, how you're feeling. What we really want to know is what are you thinking about me? So, When Diane asked me to be on her show, it affected my IC domain, right? I started to feel more valuable. Something in my social domain, Diane, 
had influenced my IC domain by saying, come on the show, which then influenced my biological domain, which made me feel great. So these domains interact all the time. And this is the os- oxytocin, the right, that's flooding, flooding through your yes. system and mine, too, for, you know, having our fun time. Yes, and sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, absolutely. That's right. It's called, so the, the chemical that gets flooded through is oxytocin, not oxycontin. You can talk about the opioid crisis no. later, but opioid crisis is also part of the IM, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, the IM never said that you have to like your IM. You know, if, if you are at a place in your life that you don't like, okay, let's just look at that. You don't have to say, I'm going to condone it and it's okay. It's not a free ride. The I am saying you are going to be held responsible for what you do because everything you do has a natural consequence. And responsibility is empowering. Responsibility is different than blame. Responsibility is empowering because you have choices. And the I am doesn't even say that you're going to be successful. And for some people, success is when you love going to work and love going home. For some people, success is having food in the refrigerator. For some people, success is having a home to have a refrigerator. For some people, success is just waking up. And so you get to choose and decide what success means to you. Mm -hmm. But instead of judging yourself and other people as less than, as broken, as not doing as well as you can, Let's look again at why we do what we do based on the influence of those four domains. And this is where Diane and I were talking about this. The word look again, right? Again, look. Again, to repeat something. Look like a spectator. Let's respect why we do what we do. It's so cool. When's I mean, the last as- time? When's- go on, go on. Yeah. No, when's the last time, fill in the blank? When's the last time you, when's the last time you got angry at someone treating you with respect? Never. That's <laughs> really, Never. it's such right. a good, it's exactly. such a good question. And, and that was the theme of, of one of my books called Outsmarting Anger, uh, which won yes. the 2013 uh, Books for Better Life Best Psychology Book of the Year. And it was, it was because of this really simple idea, you know, we don't activate anger when we feel respected. The reason is anger is an emotion designed to change things. We get angry when we want somebody to do something different, start doing something, stop doing something. But being respected feels great. So the brain doesn't activate anger. Just think about that for a moment. This changes the whole game when it comes to anger management because it's not about managing your anger it's usually managing somebody else's anger that's most important. Right? Ooh, I thought so, this was so fascinating. Because I, I so listen back. to um, I listen to outsmarting anger, outsmarting anger, and this. Oh, you um, did res- good. Yeah, no, the respect is such a potent game changer. It's such a potent uh, energy changer and changes the dynamic between the pe- you know the two persons. Something very revelatory, really, for me, I thought. Um, and that's why I think when you call it the I am approach, it is much more dynamic than a theory. 
Um, I, yeah. I realized I just um, interrupted you again, and forgive me. But, you know, I was really fascinated. You know, you had that scene with the, the guy. This is the pumped up guy. He's got the tattoos all over his um, triceps and biceps. And he's outside your apartment building or the building where you're staying in mm-hmm. New York. And you approach him and, you know, you are um, really just in all innocence, but the guy, uh, you know, like you glance over and he's, you know, aggressive. Don't look at me that way. And there's like mm-hmm. this sort of sinister thing and that raises the hackles on your neck and you you kind of, you know, get that fight, flight, <laughs> freeze. Um, and, you know, there's a lot going on just in that split second, although... I wondered if he wasn't just spoiling for a fight in general, um, you know, kind of a, a dominant kind of um, person. But you did treat him with respect and even-handedly and diffused the situation yet again. Plus, you had tickets to go to a Broadway show and who has time to get into an altercation, right, with somebody two times your size. Right. I mean, it's very, the whole book, it's, it's very entertaining. I, I, I urge you to get a hold of it. It's so digestible. For those of us, and that means everyone, who often, um, you know, misuses techniques in terms of handling our anger. Um, and I think that the yeah. IC concept of, um, you know, removing the labels and seeing yourself as a certain person of value, honestly, unwittingly, without knowing you, I know that that concept has saved my life before because there are so many mm. untoward labels that can get attached to you like Velcro and, you know, you have to get them off um, through this sense of agency that you describe. We've got a couple minutes now left to, the, to our uh, commercial break. Um, and I wondered okay. if you would speak to the idea of, you know, you really are now re- flipping on its end the idea that, you know, rather than viewing people as inherently flawed, you've got this kind of um, each person has the capacity for personal growth and change. Were you a fan of Carl Rogers or is this a kind of coincidental um, enlightening or enlightenment? No, I, I tell you, it's it's really interesting because I'm we're trying to clean out our basement, and I'm going through all of these old books and papers that I had written in college, and all of those folks have had an influence on me: Rogers, mm-hmm. Jung, Freud, um, you know, uh, so many different people, and I I realized that I've sort of synthesized a lot, but and I've tried to take it to the next level, and one of the reasons that it's gone to the next level is because of this IC domain. So the IC, when I, when I first created this idea back, I guess, in the 80s, um, I didn't know about something called theory of mind. Now, theory of mind is a terrible phrase. We can't, you know, it's not theory of evolution or theory of quantum mechanics. We can't see someone's mind, so we have to theorize and guess what are they thinking or feeling. What are they thinking, feeling about me? And so the I am integrates all of these things. Some, the clunky medical thing called the biopsychosocial model, which was about why people are sick. And the adding theory of mind says, wait, if, if you change this whole dynamic and wonder why people are doing what they're doing, that is not judging them. So that gets back to respect. And respect right. leads to value. And that's what everybody wants. Think about every single person you've ever met in your life. The common thread that binds us all is we just want to feel valued by somebody else. Exactly. And what's cool is using the I am, 
Isn't it true? At the I am, at every and any moment, you can remind someone of their value. And whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value, and that leads to trust. And with trust, you can make mistakes and still know you're not going to be judged as less valuable. And you feel much better all along. I mean, I think you just have a better, you feel good. You have a much better feeling um, in this exchange, right? I mean, it's it's just, it just feels better. And you feel better because we're social animals. And it is critical for us to be valuable. Critical. We can get into that. We will get into that. Thank you. We're going to um, go for a commercial break now, but when we come back, we're going to talk about being a social animal versus where we find ourselves largely today, and that is at home, in the home domain. Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In with Dr. Joe Schrand. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Dr. Joe Schwand. And um, during the break, we were um, updated on Dr. Joe Schwand's um, resume. And um, it it is true now, Dr. Schwand, Dr. Joe, as you are called on your uh, eponymous podcast, I urge everyone to tune into. You are Chief Medical Officer at the Riverside Community Care, which is a very extensive um, organization. And you also, this this coming together, this melding of sides of the brain and all kinds of skill sets also comes together in some work that you do with a theater company. And tell us about it. Yeah, so we were talking earlier about, you know, and we're dropping in, you know, the theme is about 
how your identity formed and, you know, all these, this wonderful exploration that you're offering people, Diane, with, you know, who we are. And it, it, this is also part of what I just love the synergy because what you're exploring is also we explore, you know, you know, who I am, why I do what I do. So I told you about my, my parents, you know, my mom was an actress, my father was a physician, and I decided over time to go into psychiatry, child psychiatry in particular, and became um, the medical director and creator of a group called CASEL through High Point Treatment Center, Adolescent Treatment Program. And I started to realize that, you know, the, every single person who I've seen in psychiatry, every single one of them, on some level has felt less valuable. Mm-hmm. And that's where the IM has come in. The IM has helped people remind them of their value. But when I was working uh, with substance abuse kids, I started to think, how can we help remind them of their value? And that's where Drug Story Theater created. Uh-huh. So what I've done is I have taken teenagers in the early stages of recovery we taught them improvisational theater. Wow. And then we use something called psychodrama, and they create their own scripted shows about the seduction of addiction to and recovery from drugs and alcohol. And then they perform these shows for middle schools and high schools. So the treatment of one becomes the prevention of many. That's our slogan. The treatment of one becomes the prevention of many. In between each scene of the show, the kids step out of character and they do these PowerPoint presentations teaching the audience about the neuroscience of adolescent brain development and why it's in such risk for addiction. All the kids in the audience take a pre-show neuroscience quiz. They take the exact same quiz after the show and we are measuring and looking at how kids who learn about their brains change their perception. We're not trying to scare anyone because think about it. You know, if you're going to choose between fear and pleasure, you're going to choose pleasure every time. But what we are teaching them is, look, your brain is the coolest thing ever. Why would you want to give it away to drugs and alcohol? And Dan, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Here's a question that we ask the kids in the audience. Mm-hmm. So if you start using drugs or alcohol after the age of 21, one out of 25 people are at risk for lifelong addiction. So if you start using after the age of 21, one out of 25 are at risk for lifelong addiction. And then we ask the kids in the audience to shout out an answer. If you start using drugs or alcohol before the age of 18, that number goes from one in 25 to, and we say guess here. So not to put you on the spot, but what's your guess? Before the age of 18. Okay, so I'm a non numeric <laughs> person, and you're a calculus, physics, and creativity person. I'm going to say one in 10. How about that? One in five? One in 10? One in four. Well, I was closer the second time. Okay. Right. One no, in, no, no, one in four. Unbelievable. Just that three year gap. Right. So you're 18. That's right. You start using one in four develops a lifelong addiction. If you're under 18, and this is what we are trying to teach the kids. It's not about morality because, you know, there's right. so much stigma around substance use. It's not about morality. 
It's about mortality. It's just the way the brain develops. Your brain is at risk of lifelong addiction, one out of four, if you start using drugs and alcohol before the age of 18. And that includes marijuana, that includes alcohol, that includes everything else. So we will be, we perform for over 40,000 kids in Massachusetts. And we'll be in a, and after the show, there's a talk back between the audience and my kids, which I moderate. Mm-hmm. And we'll be in a, you know, middle school, 800 kids in the audience. And I'll have 200 of them stand up. And I'll say, that's how many kids right now are at risk for lifelong addiction just because of the way your brain is developing. But what we also, also teach them is one of the great risk factors for first-time substance use is low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. How many middle schoolers, high schoolers have low self-esteem? Many, and many, then we many. we do this exercise. Many, many, many. We do this exercise. We said, okay, whoever's sitting closest to you, just say something nice about them. Mm-hmm. Give you 30 seconds. And the whole room explodes in laughter and calm everybody down. I say, is there anyone in this room that's not smiling right now? And of course they're all smiling and they've already learned that it's oxytocin that's going through their brains. And I say, that's how easy it is to remind someone of their value. The best drug. Whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own. And that is peer pressure, but that's positive peer pressure. And we challenge these kids to remind each other of their value and see whether they can have fewer kids using drugs by the time they all graduate high school. It's so life-sustaining. It really is just a very, um, not just beautiful and poetic way of demonstrating something, but I also think that there's such a neutrality to numbers. When you start to say one in four, when you have the kids stand up and say, this is how many, there's such a bold, bold factness to numbers and mm-hmm. seeing that, yep. that I think, you know, is, is just, it, it's non-judgmental. It's not preachy. It's just, here it is, the cold, hard fact. And I, I love also this idea of the improv and the psychodrama because you're, you're really developing, um, well, first of all, improvisational is, you know, it's a real intuitive side of the brain thing, right? You're, it, it's a creative, um, spontaneous element as opposed to a methodical, logical element. And it gives an empowerment to kids' voices, which I have to think is also something that makes them feel valuable. Um, this, Absolutely. This, this sense of being valued, um, I mean, I think being having a performance in and of itself, right, is something we all know it does stimulate a sense of um, shared a shared exchange, and you feel appreciated. There's nothing like it. It's the best kept secret. You know, it, it seems, um, yeah, it seems counterintuitive, but the best thing to do for your self-esteem is to get up on a stage and start talking to people and, you know, see what the, see your response and feel your response. And it's, um, it takes courage. It takes a risk, um, but you're facilitating that risk. And um, that just sounds like a, a really awesome project. The Drug Story Theater Company. And where is this then, um, Dr. Joe? It, it's, it's possible. You, you can go to the website, www.drugstorytheater.org. And that's theater spelled with an ER because so many of our kids wind up there. 
Um, but you're absolutely no. right. That, and again, that is part of what I learned with my experience in theater. There is nothing like that rush of mm-hmm. performance and then the applause. And what I began to realize, and that's what we tell the audience, is you are helping these kids because whenever you are listening respectfully, standing up, applauding, you are increasing the oxytocin levels in these kids' brains. And we know that oxytocin, that sense of value, can overcome the loop of addiction. So there's a lot of neuroscience that goes, and we teach the kids in the audience about the difference between the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex, the interaction between dopamine and oxytocin, and it's just mind-blowing. And my kids in the show are following another one of my sayings, contribute to society to help with your sobriety. Mm-hmm. You know, contribute to society to help with your sobriety because every time you remind someone of their value, you increase your own. And, and you, this, yeah, and you have this, a sense of community. It's bigger than you. Exactly. It's bigger than you. That's right. So it's been really great. We, we've loved doing it. Um, and uh, we're, we're actually about to embark on a little bit of research if all goes well. One of my colleagues uh, out of Yale University, Andreas Martin, is looking at the data that we've collected with all these kids. We're just going to start really reviewing it and, and, and seeing how, how this has an impact, um, both quantitatively and qualitatively, on the audience okay. and people who are yes. involved. But, yes. you know... Drug-free theater, what's wonderful about it is we can do this in Massachusetts, Michigan, and Morocco. So if anybody's listening out there and they want to, you know, try to form a drug-free theater troupe in their area, you know, contact us because um, this can be culture-specific. I'm not going to take, you know, a group of kids from the South Shore of Massachusetts and expect them to resonate completely with a group of kids in the Bronx. But a group mm-hmm. of kids in the Bronx can resonate with groups of kids in the Bronx. This is peer-to-peer. And it right. is so much more powerful for a kid to be listening to another kid than some, you know, white-haired old guy like me. So, Well, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm in your corner, so I am not. I just think that this, <laughs> I think this idea of acting locally, though, and, you know, Morocco, Mi- Michigan, Massachusetts, it can be another state without an M beginning. Um, it, I, I just love the idea that you could spread out this network um, of the circulation of just really positivity. Um, what about, Dr. Joe, you know, what about those who are really lacking an audience these days? Lack of feedback is something that people are, are suffering from by being socially isolated in the pandemic. What are some of the like small changes that we can make for ourselves to overcome that feeling of just not getting feedback and how it impacts us? So we are certainly in this really interesting age, right, with, with corona and COVID and people feeling more isolated. The first thing is to recognize that by feeling isolated, what you're really doing is saying, my gosh, I really like to be with other people. And that's not a bad thing. So it's, it's a good thing to want to be with other people. And the social, you know, distancing that we have, right, is not the same as emotional distancing. We do need to stay 
apart from each other to try to put, you know, a lid on the coronavirus and flatten the curve, as they say. So what can you do? The first thing is we are lucky to have technology, whether it is an audio phone or a cell phone or a computer, reach out to people. You will be astonished at how receptive they are because they may be feeling and probably are the exact same thing that you're feeling alone. Mm -hmm. And this gets back to being a social animal. We want to be with other people. And that helps remind us of our value, which allows us to remain part of this protected group. If you're not valuable, you may get kicked out of your group. That is not happening now. Just because you are isolated does not mean that you are being kicked out of your group. And this is a really important sort of cognitive shift to make because part of our brain, our limbic system, is on high alert right now. The limbic system is this ancient deep part of our brain responsible for irrational thought, for emotions, for impulses, for memory, happens to be where addictions live as well. This limbic system right now is how we have survived for millions and millions of years. It alerts us if there's something dangerous. And right now, there's danger. It's called coronavirus. It's an invisible prey, predator, invisible predator that does not discriminate. And we are the prey. So, and we are the prey. We are the prey. So that's part of why wearing a mask is so important. Because wearing a mask protects other people. It is a symbol of respect and value to other people. When I wear a mask, it's not just to protect me, it's to protect you. And to say, you know, I care about you enough that I'm going to put this mask on. The mask is a whole nother area of interest. I actually wrote a blog on it in Psychology Today because we are, as social animals, really tuned into looking at other people's faces to figure out what yes. they're thinking and feeling. And traditionally, a mask has been associated with a criminal. That's not the case now. Or the Lone it Ranger. It's not what's happening. Or, or the Lone Ranger, good point, good point, yeah. or some superhero, right? Right. Uh, um, but somehow there's an anonymity that goes along with the mask, and we, we don't need to worry about that right now. It's, it's helping each other. Go ahead. I, I think that the fact that, you know, this emotional network that we are able to maintain, it disregards the mask. In fact, the mask is a statement of emotional caring. Um, but it's interesting, and we've got to cut to a break here in a little bit, but, I mean, in a couple seconds. Um, but, the, you know, you're talking about reading people's expressions, and that's part of uh, theory of mind, which is really empathy, knowing what other people are feeling. Um, and I wonder about, you know, now you've touched on the limbic system, which is this, you know, the giant elephant in the room, because right now with COVID, um, it's disrupted. So when we, you know, we're going to take a little commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to try to understand really how to recalibrate ourselves, how to get the oxytocin flowing again, how to come back to a state of play, which is what this season is meant to be all about. And Dr. Joe Schrand, just a genius at combining all of these forces, spiritual, creative, and psychiatric. I mean, a really, um, a 
a gift. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Joe Schrand on Dropping In. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dropping In. We're here with Dr. Joe Schrand. He's got a great podcast, Dr. Joe Show. He's the author of two books, Outsmarting Anger, and an upcoming book, The Fear Factor, um, which I've, I'm going to ask you to actually, delve into. Let me jump Is in. Is that reversed? It's actually four books. Oh, four, four books. books. Oh, my gosh. And they're not on your website. Okay. What What is going on with that? Because, again, you know, this is... This is the problem with doing too many things is I got to get somebody to, you know, bump up this website. So the first book I wrote, um, I wrote four books in four years. Um, the first book was on stress, manager stress. Uh, the second book, uh, was outsmarting anger. We talked about won an award. Third book is called the fear reflex. At which point my wife said, are you trying to tell me something? You've written a book on stress, anger, and fear. And I said, no, no, no. Just, um, and then, um, <laughs> And then the fourth book is called Do You Really Get Me? And that, the fear reflex and Do You Really Get Me have both really expanded on the I am. And I really would love people to go out and get, get a copy of Do You Really Get Me? Because it talks about the I am and theory of mind. Um, and then I got, you know, well, while that was going on, I was doing drugs free theater and writing a musical on this guy Semmelweis who we can talk about it another time. But yes, unfortunately, I, I, have, I have these four books and nothing has been updated on my website, clearly. So thank you for that, Diane. I will go oh. and do that momentarily. And the other thing, I, I just want to thank you also for, for letting me be on the show because yes. um, 
usually psychiatrists listen. And this may be the only only mistake that many people make when they ask me to come and give a talk because because I listen so much when I do get a chance to talk, I, I don't really stop talking. So thank you so much for the opportunity. It, it's lovely. <laughs> it's lovely. Talk. This is really, I mean, talk about value. I mean, it's stream of consciousness from um, someone who actually has something to say and knows something. You're not off the hook for Semmelweis, by the way. I've decided, I looked into the musical. This is a musical um, based on a doctor in Vienna, Austria, I think in the the early 19th century. 1840s, 1840s. 1840s. And he, um, see, I think it's very relevant, Dr. Joe, and timely, because at essence, I think Semmelweis is about washing your hands, right? Yes, it is. That's right. So I say bring it on with Semmelweis. Bring it on. Dr. Semmelweis, um, because I I, I mean, as I understand it, there was an inherent bias against both Hungarians and and Jews at the time. And he was relegated to the obstetrics ward where there was this raging outbreak of a deathly um, uh, uh, f- f- disease and in the yeah, obstetric childbed fever. Childbed fever. Right, childbed now, fever. So it doesn't exactly sound like the natural subject for a musical, but if anybody can pull it off, Dr. Joe, it's you. And I, I hope you Thank get you. a producer. Because then after the, the women, so just the, the midwife sec- section didn't get the fever. They didn't because they weren't dealing with the corpses. And so finally, the light bulb went on. Dr. Semmelweis, wash your hands. And I don't know what could be more applicable today. We've got to wash our hands. We've got to wear a mask. And let's go back to what we were talking about before the break. The mask, it inhibits us, right? I, I don't even feel like myself wearing a mask. I do so religiously, but it does um, strangely curtail a sense of emotional um, like connectivity and empathy and your you know hot topic of theory of mind um, when we are compressed as we are now with the pandemic, what happens to our ability to empathize? What happens to our theory of mind abilities to read? and to absorb and osmose other people? I think that we are enhancing our theory of mind by recognizing that we are all in this together. Um, we, we've had you know, a traditional way of communicating, obviously, for millions of years. Um, but communication is not just verbal. We know that. That's what art is. You know, when, when you look at a wonderful piece of art, painting or music or drama or dance or something, it taps into a different part of, of who we are, um, which is, combines both our limbic system and then this other part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is what distinguishes us as humans. And it absolutely is involved in rational thought, the ability to solve problems, execute a plan, and anticipate what will happen next. That part of the brain, to get back to drug-free theater for a moment, is only developing in adolescence. So a kid can use drugs without thinking about the future. 
But the prefrontal cortex is also where theory of mind lives. Ah. So right now, with COVID, we can either be limbic or we can shift to our prefrontal cortex. And one of my other mantras, especially it came right out of House Party Anger, keep it frontal, don't go limbic. <laughs> keep, keep it, it frontal. frontal, don't go limbic. That's right. right. And we can now use this part of our brain to anticipate what will happen next if we stay limbic. Well, if we stay limbic and irrational, uh, we're going to potentially destroy ourselves because we'll start thinking that, that everything is a risk. Now, the reality is right now, we have an opportunity to come together around coronavirus in a way that we have never been able to come together before, not just as one house or one town, but a social domain of the entire world. We can work together. In the future, what I really hope and what I really know we can do is that we can all come together without having to have a common enemy. Right. That is the ultimate goal. But this common enemy thing is really interesting. We talked about oxytocin. But the precursor to oxytocin, the, the, the neurochemical that we think oxytocin develops from is another chemical called vasopressin. Now, uh-huh. this is really interesting, and I, I can't remember which book I wrote about it, I'm sorry, but vasopressin is activated when one group feels attacked by something else, and it brings this whole group together. So I want people to really think about this in the world we live in right now, especially in the United States. We've got coronavirus going. We've got all of the, the uh, Black Lives Matter and the idea that, that we have been, you know, discriminating against other people. And these two things can work together or they can work against each other. We can either use that limbic part and think that everybody's an enemy or we can shift to the prefrontal and realize we're all in this together. Every mm-hmm. friend was once a stranger. Every single friend was once a stranger. And we had this thing, stranger danger, which meant that if it was a stranger, you need to be cautious. It's also an opportunity to have an increased social network where you have more people in your group, which means you are actually safer. Right. There's there's an evolution. Yeah, there's an evolutionary survival tactic right there. More people in your yeah. circle. Yes. That's and, right. And, That's and you right. were saying... And it doesn't need to be my group against your group. It doesn't need to be, well, because you don't look like me. I mean, we need to be aware also of, of brain and evolution. I mean, our human brains are designed to compare sets of information. That's what we do. You give an, an infant a piece of paper with a black line drawn in the middle of it, they will begin orienting towards that line so they can say, oh, that's above it, that's below it. They may not say above and below, but they orient it to differences. It's about survival. The, the, the ancient ancestor who did not alert 
to the rustling in the bush and realizing that was different than it had been a moment ago, maybe lunch. That rustling may have been a predator. So we are so tuned to differences. The thing is that you can also tune to similarities. So just because my skin is different color than yours doesn't mean I'm really different. I've just got a different color skin. This is the I am. This is the I am in play. We're all valuable. We all can respect each other and wonder. Exactly. I think I think that's the connector, right? I mean, it's in fight, flight, freeze, or connect. And and in that moment when you're just about ready to um, have fight, you stop and become a curious person. So it's that pause, really. I mean, it's interesting that what you're suggesting we do is actually create an absence, create a moment for ourselves to reflect. To respect, certainly in Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. that's the big realization. We we lost respect for fellow human beings, and we need right. to make make up for that. I also think, okay, and that it's brilliant with you know that, that there's maybe an outworn idea of lines drawn in the sand, us and them, and one that's exploited, frankly, for other political purposes in a very negative way, something that I think we have to overcome as well. But one of the hopeful things, what you're talking about um, in terms of the limbic system, I happen to know on great authority, that is from my conversation last night with Dr. Cho, that resilience is a profound outcome of endangered limbic systems and trauma and perhaps even the trauma that we're experiencing now. What do you think, Dr. Joe? Do we have the ability to really have resilience from this crisis and to move on in a way that was even more strong? I think so. I I believe so. Because resilience is based on value. You know, we've got the literature to support this. The kids who've been the most traumatized, the kids who do the best, you know, are the ones that, through theory of mind and an IC domain knew that somebody saw them as valuable. And, and, and this is part of what we really need to look at. If you really think about what racism is about, you can't be racist unless you have dehumanized somebody else. And you've said they are less than me. But what that really means is in our heart of hearts, we can't hurt somebody unless we see them as less than. I mean, that's why we hurt each other, because we think we have power or superior, or we think that they are dangerous. But what that means is in our human nature, our human nature is to be kind, and we then have to learn how to be unkind. That's so critical. An infant is not born racist. An infant is born with a sense of unity. They don't even realize that there's something different from them until later on as they develop. That's exactly. who we are. Right. That we is are who one are. group. And I believe... One group. It's called humanity. Truly, yes. And that empathy, in fact, is a natural state. We have to be alert for things that disrupt it. And one of the things that's going to disrupt it is us running out of time today. And that is just... I'm 
so thankful for you to be here. If you'd like to reach out, Dr. Joe Schrand, it's Dr. Schrand is your website. Um, I also just want to leave on the note of um, when we hurt others, we do hurt ourselves. It's that real, the connectivity. And I um, want to thank you very, very much, Dr. Joe. Please come back and, and see us again, and we'll listen attentively to all you have to say. Thanks very much to our listeners and to our engineer, Matt Widener, and producer, Robert Giolino. Till next week, everyone, remember to respect yourself and others. Be well, and thanks for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 